0: Hey, Pitchfork listeners. This week, we're rebroadcasting one of my favorite episodes, our conversation with Anu Partinen, uh, the author of The Nordic Theory of Everything, and her husband and fellow journalist, Trevor Corson. One of the things I learned from our conversation and from Anu's book is that I am a secret Nord. It turns out that the Nordic countries aren't actually socialist. Uh, no, the Nords are actually capitalists. It's a different kind of capitalism and they pull it off much better than we do here in America. We talked to them back in February of 2020 uh, about some of the common myths about Nordic societies and about the United States and about how we can learn a lesson from the Nords in reimagining American capitalism for the 21st century.
1: One of the things that a Nordic person, I think, notices quickly when you come to America, how much Americans talk about freedom. But the longer I lived in the United States and the more I observed the life around me, it didn't seem to me that Americans were actually that free.
0: I look at the Finnish model and I say free health care, free daycare, good public schools, free college, and long-term care when you get old. That's the type of market capitalism for me. And, you know, none of these things
2: are out of reach for Americans.
0: (laughs) From the offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer. A pointed conversation about who gets what and why with one of America's most provocative capitalists. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. So Nick, back in... Was it like May of 2014 when you first had me into the office uh, to talk about working with you? Was it that long ago? It was that long ago. (sighs) Good God. You brought me on board as you explained it to me to help you with your mission to redefine capitalism. Correct. But- You know, when I talk to people about the stuff we're working on and the things we support, that we want some sort of health care, universal health care for everybody, we want to raise wages, we want to tax the rich, we want a high minimum wage, we want high overtime protections, we want affordable housing. Uh, They tell me that that's... We're
2: advocating for a socialist hellscape.
0: Let's tell the truth. Yeah. Are you some sort of secret socialist? <laughs> it's such
2: an interesting question, and it's so pertinent today. I, I think you raise a really good point, because we're not socialists. I'm certainly not a socialist, and I really do st- strongly believe that the principal lesson of the 20th century was that markets work mm-hmm. and non-market so- societies don't. That, right. that there's no example on planet Earth where where a society moved away from markets and it succeeded in any sort of measurable way.
0: Right, but saying that markets work is not the same thing as saying our current market system works as well as it can.
2: Exactly, and
0: as I've said many
2: times, capitalism... Comes in as many flavors as pie, and dirt pie tastes terrible, and cherry pie tastes great. And we, you know, maybe we maybe you to, prefer a pecan pie. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> People are different, but we definitely uh, get to choose the form of market economy that we have, and you know, we have both the right and responsibility to choose a good form, a good flavor. And I, but, but I do think it's worth just pausing for a second and reminding folks why we are so certain that socialism doesn't work
0: and let's define this because this paucity of terms we have it 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 hurts us on both sides it it says there's capitalism this thing called capitalism which is markets and freedom hooray america first Uh, uh, right right Right. And that's that's it. That's the only kind of thing there is. Right. And then socialism, where people lump in affordable health (laughs) care with uh, Stalinist death camps. Right. (laughs) And let's (laughs) make a technical (laughs) distinction between socialism in the Soviet sense, which is, you know, what what we think of as a communist country where the state owns most of the means of production right. and there is no private property right and there no, are no
2: markets th- right right
0: uh, the state is setting all the prices and yes. and assigning all the wages and and so forth it's complete top-down control yeah. um, that's not the same thing as a social democracy, it's a social welfare state, a mixed economy which is largely a market economy in which most industries, most businesses are privately held and privately run and there's private property, but there are some basic things like healthcare, education, not just uh, K-12, but colleges and universities, daycare, things that that are provided by the state often outside of the market and guaranteed to all citizens, that's not socialism.
2: Honestly, by emphasizing the state-provided services as the distinction, we actually don't acknowledge the important difference, which is that a laissez-faire market system basically can do nothing but eat itself. It It will create massive economic inequality and will collapse from within. And what other countries utilizing market systems have done is they have constrained the market systems in ways that both encourage and to a certain extent guarantee that the outcomes will will be distributionally reasonable and therefore more stable. Right. And more to the point, um, where, the outcomes of the market economy are not so egregiously unjust that you have to spend a shit ton of government money making up the difference. Right. When I think about a market economy that makes sense, I'm not thinking about an economy that b- mostly includes government provided services at scale although i do agree that in many cases that this is the best and most efficient way to do it like public education and almost certainly like healthcare to a right. certain extent but what i do think of is a set of rules and norms governing the market economy to make it work in a way that works for everyone. Our system actually isn't capitalist. It's socialism for the rich. There are some very clear ways in which socialism does not and cannot work to provide prosperity for human societies. And that is that while socialism is really good at solving the distributional problems Mm -hmm. in an economy, but what that arrangement cannot do is create more prosperity. Right? At that, least not as well as the market. Right. Because markets are an incredibly effective way of generating new solutions to human right. problems. As, as
0: we've said before, yeah. it's an evolutionary system right. that evolves uh, new solutions to human problems. Right, exactly. So to sum this up, just for folks listening, if, if you're one of those uh, libertarians who hate government programs, or you're somebody who knows one of those libertarians that hates government programs, to be clear, Medicare for... For all is not socialism. If the US had Medicare for all, we would have a market economy with universal health (laughs) care. Correct. So this brings us, of course, to the theme of this episode is, well, we're saying reimagining capitalism, making the case that there are. Different kinds of capitalism, and one of the places where there's a different kind of capitalism that people in the U.S. often like to say, "Oh, that's socialism." You don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to go to that socialist hellhole. Is uh, well, the Nordic countries. That's right, and one of
2: the best examples of the Nordic countries is Finland. And today we do get to chat with a couple of people who are calling us from that socialist hellscape.
0: Where oddly, it's warmer and sunnier than it is here in (laughs) Seattle right now. Yeah.
2: So today we get to talk to Trevor Corson and Anu Partinen about what it's like to live in Finland, uh, which parenthetically uh, in 2017 was ranked the most stable, the safest, the best governed country in the world. Um, It's also the third wealthiest the third least corrupt, and the second most socially progressive, uh, and finally the third most socially just.
0: So somehow... (laughs) Somehow, not socialist hellhole, (laughs) as they wrote in the New York Times, Finland is a capitalist paradise.
1: My name is Anu Partanen. I'm a writer and I'm the author of the Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life, which is a book that um, compares the United States and the Nordic countries and, and what life looks like in these countries.
3: And I'm Trevor Corson. I'm married to Anupartanen, the most important thing you need to know about me. And I am also an author. I have written for The New York Times, The Atlantic. I've written two books. Um, I'm a science writer as well as a literary journalist. And I have most recently been teaching American studies and writing at Columbia University in New York City, uh, where we lived for 10 years before we moved to Finland.
0: I've got a question right off the bat after after reading your piece in the New York Times. How do I immigrate to Finland? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get that asked so much. Just today I was talking to a, a group of American college students who were visiting Finland and I met them here in Helsinki and they were immediately asking me how do you immigrate to Finland? And all I can say is, well, it's not easy. Unfortunately, Finland is a little <laughs> bit like other European countries they don't make it easy but for the students luckily I could tell them that a lot of Finnish universities these days have English language programs and I think it's reasonably easy to come here as a student so they have hope
0: uh, yes. ha- how about as a political refugee Because <laughs> we'll see what happens in the 2020 election yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how welcome I'll be afterwards <laughs> so
2: um, we're so delighted to get to talk to you guys Our podcast, as you know, is devoted to all things economic and in particular trying to help people understand the ways in which, you know, sort of the American framework of economics and, you know, what we call neoliberalism in particular, the ways in which that has imprisoned us and reduced our happiness and prosperity in all sorts of ways. And in particular, the ideas that we take For granted, sort of, you know, it's the water we swim in that, you know, neoliberalism as a meaning system has infected every part of American life. And most people, they don't even recognize it's there. But in particular, we were really drawn to the way in which you folks describe freedom. A different form of freedom
0: right, I guess you know the the liberal and neoliberalism is is from liberty it's it's all about making us free and maximizing personal freedom and liberty, and yet you make the argument that actually the finns are more free yeah. uh, explain to the American audience why
1: well for my part um this is basically the whole lens that i that i look through in my book, The Nordic Theory of Everything. And so the book started when I moved to the United States. I'm originally from Finland, and I grew up in Finland, and then I moved to the United States, and I started looking at the you know American life around me and thinking about it and trying to figure out um, my own place in the society. And one of the things that a Nordic person, I think, notices quickly when you come to America, how much Americans talk about freedom. And we don't really talk about it that much here. And at first, it was strange to me. It seemed a little... I'll be honest, it sounded a little pompous, (laughs) because in the Nordic countries we're pretty, I don't know if modest is the right word, but we don't really use big words and so on. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that that's fantastic. Of course, freedom is what we all want from life, and every society should really aim for freedom. So I really started to appreciate the fact that Americans really are so engaged with it and and talk about it so much. But then the contradiction was that the longer I lived in the United States and the more I observed the life around me, it didn't seem to me that Americans were actually that free. And it certainly didn't seem to me that Americans were living a freer life, if you will, than the people I had known in the Nordic countries. And so that was the starting point of my book. And the basic idea that I came to and when I was researching the book, I discovered was that the, the way the Nordic countries have created these universal social policies that provide every child, every person with good education or health care or our parents with paid parental leaves and so on. These are not some sort of collective uh, socialist systems <laughs> that take away your independence or, or are gifts from the government to you. They're in fact... Services that really support everybody's independence and freedom so that you're free to actually fulfill your potential regardless of who your parents are. And you're free to have family and career and you're free to not worry about constantly how you're going to pay for health insurance or whether it's going to cover you. So that was one of the big discoveries for me when I moved to the United States to realize that there's many ways of achieving freedom. And I think today the United States, the way the society is organized, doesn't actually really support people's freedom every day
0: we're free
2: in theory (laughs) yeah and our definition of freedom is freedom from constraint but what you're really talking about is a a different in and i think in our opinion much better definition of freedom which is capabilities you know it's well and fine to be theoretically free of constraint but if you live In a libertarian hellscape where the only people in the society who have power are a small group of economic elites, and your life essentially is constrained by that, and you're consigned to a life of limits and poverty. You're not super free <laughs> right
0: I, I think they can make distinction i think absolutely yeah 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 make, make a distinction you and i are equally free to fly on a private jet yeah the difference is you're at liberty to fly <laughs> on a private jet and i only get to fly on it if you invite me on your jet right and that sounds like an odd sort of uh, um, uh, situation, but it, it's throughout our lives, you have more liberty than I do yeah. because you have money. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Trevor, your take as an American in Finland, is your impression the same?
3: Uh, well, I was one of those fish swimming in the sea of Americans versions of freedom, not knowing you know, what I was missing. And meeting Anu and learning about her thinking has really dramatically changed the way I perceive how my life was in the United States, even while we were still living there. We lived there for 10 years together before just moving to Finland recently. Um, She has this line in her book where she says one of the ways to think about this is that the freedom you have in Finland, for example, or any country that has good public social services – is freedom from false hope, which I just think is such an interesting way to phrase it because in the US, I am from a very privileged background, and yet the social set that I'm part of, even all of those people and myself included, suffer from really debilitating stresses and anxieties all the time. and. You know, even if it's the fear that your kid's not going to get into the right high end private school, the whole set of things behind that is that we lack like any kind of middle class anymore with a decent life where people can have the freedom to live the life they want to. Instead, we're all in this pressure cooker trying to compete, trying to arms keep race. our heads above water. It's an arms race. Yeah. And the false hope part is that, you know, there's this huge industry of self-help and everybody's constantly trying to find the way that they can calm down and relax, whether it's meditation or yoga or, you know, mindfulness. And that's not the problem. <laughs> Those aren't the solutions. I mean, maybe they help. But um, the, 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 the false hope that we all suffer from, and not to mention people who are far less privileged,
2: um, yeah, for sure.
3: that, that we can you know, rise above this against all odds. I mean, all these tales of heroism. And it's so interesting now moving to Finland where people don't talk and think about this stuff that much, as, as Anu said. But from my perspective as an American looking, for example, at Anu's Finnish friends here— Something she's pointed out, too, is they seem so relaxed and free compared to the equivalently positioned people that, that we know in the United States who are really stressed out all the time. And it's not that their their quality of life is bad or that they're missing out on opportunity. They have good jobs. They have wonderful lives. They can afford to buy things. They're just really relaxed and enjoying life.
2: Yeah, and I think that you know my own experience is that the more inequality there is in a society, the farther – the rungs of the ladder of opportunity are stretched apart and the more panicked people become about moving from rung to rung or
0: moving down a rung. Uh, Anu, in your book, you, uh, you talk about the logistics of everyday life and the, the difference between making your way through life in America on a daily basis, how complicated and stressful it is, as opposed to what it's like in Finland. If you, if you could provide an example, I think the, the audience would appreciate that.
1: Well I think there's just many things in your daily life, especially if you have a family in the United States that are complicated and require you to do research and visits and you just think of um, choosing a good daycare for your kid or choosing a, a good school for your kid. I was just amazed when I started to learn that you know Turvor's family or friends that they would do so much research they would ask around friends they would visit multiple schools they would <laughs> interview the teachers, and they were really stressed out if Whether they're going to find this good school, and can they trust that it's a good school for their kid, and then can they get in? And they're filling out this like paperwork and taking part in lotteries. And you know, I remember a friend was—they were applying for a private school that they're going to pay for a lot of money, and still there was this system where you have to get your application in on a certain day, and everybody's really stressed out that that is the mail going to get it, or do I have to take it in in person? And all this just seemed to me that people have to spend so much time just. Figuring all this out, and then they're constantly stressed out about it. And then multiply this by researching your health insurance and researching college and filling out college applications. And I often thought that, well, this is really anxiety inducing because it's also hard. Like, if you don't have the, even if you're a highly educated person, you still struggle to fill in the forms or understand the healthcare bills or whatnot you get in America. So it's complicated, it takes up your time, you're really anxious about it. But I often thought of also like the just the simple American truth that time is money. Like how much time every individual spends on this. People who could be doing something much more valuable with their time, whether it's just hanging out there with their kids or going to a baseball game or working at the actual job and thinking about that. If we had a system where these basic things that everybody needs, everybody needs daycare for their child, everybody needs a school for their child, everybody needs healthcare if we just figured out a way where, you know, it's taken care of for you. And I feel like in a Nordic country, there's certainly debate on how to best arrange these services and so on. But you can also make the argument that if you have a government that is specialized in figuring out how are we going to arrange the best healthcare system for all these people, then there's going to be hired people who are specialized and they do that. And not every individual who doesn't even understand the system. So that to me also seemed like, like this doesn't make any sense that we force everybody to be stressed out and spend all this time and energy on these things.
0: What was the experience like uh, finding daycare for your daughter in Finland?
1: Well, you fill in an application. Uh, I don't even remember anymore. I think it was so simple. Or maybe I send in an email and an application. And you kind of figure out the ones that are closest to your home or whatnot. You, you know, list them. And then you get a letter saying which one your child got into. Every child has a right to a spot in a public daycare center in Finland. So it's not a question of whether you get a spot. The place we got is like seven minutes from our home and it's fantastic. It's truly wonderful. They do so many things there and we're constantly just amazed at what our daughter already learns there, what the days are like. Having said that, sure, um, some you know neighborhoods all of a sudden have a lot of kids and they don't have enough daycare centers and so people get a spot further away and they're unhappy because they have to take the tram exactly. (laughs) And, and (laughs) and of course it can be annoying but most people then you know you apply next year again and maybe you get a spot closer to you but it's still extremely easy and we pay the maximum it's for the whole country there's like a maximum amount that anybody is allowed to be charged, and it's 280 euros at the moment, about a little maybe 290 euros, so about $300. And then it's still on a sliding scale that if you make less money, you pay less. But we are fortunate enough to be in the highest-paying group, and we pay 300 euros.
2: So there's this quote uh, that we grabbed from your book that I really loved that I think describes this, but particularly getting at this notion of freedom which is that, that you know the nautical has been to free the individual from all forms of dependency within the family and in civil society the poor from charity wives from husbands adult children from parents and elderly parents from children, Uh, the the express purpose of this freedom is to allow all of those human relationships to be unencumbered by ulterior motives and needs, thus to be entirely free, completely authentic, and driven purely by love. I think it's a wonderful way to express how useful these policies are for promoting true happiness and freedom and why that distinction, why the lives of people are so different and driven, you know, driven by these different policies.
0: But this is an economics podcast, yeah. so, so I'd love to get into some of the economics just so we can be clear. Your piece in the New York Times was titled uh, Finland is a Capitalist Paradise. Let's talk about the economy in Finland. It is a market economy, fully, right?
1: It is, yes. And like, you know, what is a market economy fully? It is in a sense that there's private ownership, there's private businesses, there's free markets. It's very, um, Finland's economy is very exports oriented. So Finland is very much uh, part of the global trade and in fact dependent on it. So you see less of the kind of... a. Uh, movement um, towards trade wars or whatnot you see in the United States, because I think Finland is a small country and and is very focused on global trade. Everybody kind of agrees that global trade is a good thing. So it is certainly very much a free market economy. You have all the same brands. You can buy whatever you want. So it's not at all what many Americans might think that, oh, they're those, I don't know, poor socialist countries who probably come by Coke (laughs) or whatnot. Um, But at the same time, so the basic difference is that we just have a government that provides some basic um, vital universal social services for everyone. And then apart from that, businesses do their thing and, and sell their products just like in America. And
0: the, the cost, what are you paying in taxes?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think I often uh, encountered that in America, many people still think that everybody in a Nordic country pays like 70 percent of their wages in taxes. And that's not at all true. Not at all. For me one of the surprising things also was that when I moved to America we lived in New York City and in New York City you have federal tax state tax city tax and for 3 years I had to do my taxes both in Finland and in the United States so I could I could actually see that with the same income what my tax rate was and it was basically the same few years, I would have paid a little bit less in Finland, because let's remember, I wasn't making huge amounts of money. So the difference really is that in America, if you're a wealthy person making a lot of money, you probably pay less taxes than you would in Finland. Or if you live in a state like Texas, or, or somewhere where you don't necessarily have state tax or or city tax, then maybe you pay less of your income in taxes. But overall, in America, many people in big cities pay just as much of their wages and taxes as people in Finland do. So it's not that the burden on individual is that much higher. Certainly in Finland, um, for example, consumption is taxed a little differently. So gas is uh, more expensive in, in Finland, or maybe some, I don't know, a laptop might be more expensive in Finland. But that doesn't mean that people can't afford to buy these things. Yeah. If you go to any house in Finland, you know, people have their Macs or laptops or, or iPhones. So it's in that sense, it's similar. But it's just, you know, we all pay somehow. And Americans... Pay for health insurance on top of their taxes. They pay for daycare on top of their taxes. Yes. They pay for their college on top of their taxes. Whereas the way Nordic society in Finland is organized, we pay taxes and then we get the services in return. And I think for most people, that's a better deal. And I would argue that even for extremely wealthy people who in the United States certainly probably end up paying less tax than they would in a Nordic country. I would say that the Nordic countries still, or model, could be a better deal because A, you're kind of relieved of those pressures that we talked about earlier. You you don't have to spend all that time worrying whether a kid is getting into the best school because if they don't get into the best school, they're going to, you know, fall down a ladder and then, oh my God. (laughs) So you can also live less stress-free life. And I'll be honest that for me at least, I think it's a selfish thing also to think that I want to live in a society where there's not homeless people sleeping in the doorways of like these luxury stores that sell $5,000 handbags. And I just feel like I think most Nordic people, even the wealthy people, are happy to pay those taxes to feel like they live in a society that actually provides equality of opportunity for everyone. And then you can feel like, OK, I've earned my success. Because one of the things I was surprised by in America as well, that there's, there's a lot of talk of privilege and a lot of people feeling kind of guilty about their privilege. And, and Finns don't really talk about that much. Like, of course, in Finland, too, some child is in better position than another one, for sure. You know, maybe parents in some family are alcoholics or whatnot. This happens always. But because the society overall uh, works hard to provide equal opportunity for all children, then you don't have to constantly feel like, oh, but, you know, I had such advantages growing up that actually my success maybe is not my success.
0: So I'm curious, Trevor, you know, you came from, from New York, very cosmopolitan city, people from all over the world there. The U.S. is not as homogenous as Finland. Do you think
3: it could work here? A couple of things to say about that. One is that it's a really interesting moment to be moving from New York to to, say, a place like Finland, because as an American, I really feel... And I know I know you guys are are thinking a lot about this question of the, sort of the stories we've told ourselves as Americans <laughs> over the past decades about you know if we raise taxes it'll ruin investment and wealth and all and growth and you know make life worse for everyone. And uh, I think this is an incredibly interesting time to move to a Nordic country from the U.S. because I've come to feel that the Nordic countries are the living, breathing proof that what we've been telling ourselves in the U.S. <laughs> is wrong. And you know the only reason we've been able to ignore the Nordic countries is because of all this talk about how they're well, they're these socialist nanny states. They're basically communist. And you know part of what we've been trying to say is like no, actually they're um, these quite cosmopolitan, very interesting capitalists that are doing really well using policies that we're told can't work. And uh, capitalism has only done better here as a result. And on the homogeneity question, one thing to say is that nordic countries are quite heterogeneous now um there are more i think foreign-born people in sweden now than there are in the united states and uh, helsinki where we are is rapidly becoming much more international just in the past 10 years so i'm really excited to be living here right now we hear this a lot that oh well these These Nordic countries are these homogenous, white, Christian monocultures, and they're all altruistic, and that's the only reason it works, and it would never work in the United States. And there's there's a couple of underlying assumptions there. One of them is that a... (laughs) white Christian monoculture contains no um, divisions between people or no disagreements. And one of the things we wanted to do in our article was tell the story of Finland's history quickly because there was a terrible civil war, 35,000 people were killed, there was mass murder, Finns were slaughtering each other in the streets over economic injustice. And it's the legacy of that that has partly inspired the current system and the way it works. And there are constant disagreements. In Finland, politically, between different political parties, between classes, over this stuff, people here fight with each other and scream and yell at each other all the time. The idea that these are somehow harmonious, altruistic societies is a complete myth. And the reason it works is because people have a, they understand that their self interest is built into having the system work, even though people have disagreements. And so that's one underlying assumption here that we need to examine. Another one is, is kind of an extension of that, which is that you only by being altruistic or communitarian could we have uh, good public services, for example. Could we have, you know, no one will agree to it in the United States because nobody's that selfless. Everybody's more selfish in the United States. Well, the whole point here is that all of these public services, for example, universal health care, universal good public schools, they're incredibly much in everyone's self-interest, because as we've just been describing, our own personal lives are so much better as a result. We have a very selfish interest in wanting to live in this system. So it doesn't require altruism. You actually get a better deal, a much better deal for your money, whether it's taxes or you know um, deductibles or uh, premiums you're paying to a, a private health insurance company. We're spending far more money in the United. States, as you well know, yeah. than they do here. So it's a better deal for selfish reasons.
2: It's just much more efficient right. <laughs> to solve these problems collectively than, than I mean, we,
3: the, 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 the public sp- schools. Yeah, we have a young kid, you know, and we're thinking about schools and uh, there's an education expert that Anu quotes in her book who, who puts it really well. He said, oh yeah, there's school choice in Finland too. You can choose any public school you want. They're all excellent. Right, <laughs> right. End of story. Right. <laughs> exactly. Do,
0: do, do you know any any business people? Have you, have you talked to business people there about the benefits to business of, for example, not having to be in the health insurance business as every business in the U.S. is?
1: Well, for my book, I have one chapter on entrepreneurship. And the basic um, idea of that chapter was that in the United States, I often would hear when I would talk about Nordic countries, people would say that, well, that's all good and well. Sure, you have a good quality of life and it's probably nice for all of you to have long paid, you know, summer vacations and paid parental leaves. But that means that you don't have any innovation. Right. You don't have successful businesses. I mean, name one brand that comes from a Nordic country, which always was kind of funny to me because, well, you look at Ikea or H&M or Spotify or Skype or Minecraft or Angry Birds or all these services Nokia. that Americans use um, that come from the Nordic countries. But I think a lot of Americans just don't know that they come from the Nordic countries. But so the, the book chapter, basically, I went around. The Nordic countries, in different countries, talking to companies that are competing globally and successful, small and large, and ask them that, well, how is it possible that you have a successful company that's competing at the, you know, American market while all your employees are constantly out of their paid parental leaves or or their paid vacation or or you have to pay tax, which is what Americans would ask that, you know, it's not possible to run a profitable business. And what these, you know, HR directors or CEOs would just tell me that, look, it's the job of the government to provide the basic infrastructure to make sure that we have a society where people can do the jobs. And then the business can do what it does. And then it's the government's rule to set reasonable boundaries and and regulations so that the playing field is level. But overall, I think people in the Nordic countries, everybody doesn't agree, but I think mostly businesses see the benefits of having the government to be in the business of providing health insurance. Could you remind us
2: what the paid vacation, paid family leave policies are in Finland?
1: So in Finland... The typical amount is five weeks of paid vacation for everyone regardless of who your employer is it's just universal and mandated it depends of course a little bit the first year you get four weeks and so on but this is mandated um in finland Parental leave, it's about a little bit less than a year is paid uh, based on your salary. So you get a certain percentage. It varies a little. At first, it's 90 percent. Then it's maybe 70 percent of your salary that you get throughout that time. And that's available to both parents or either parents, I should say, not both, but either they can choose it and, and divide it as they will. And then after that, you can still stay home without losing your job, but then you just get a small stipend for another two years. Now, the big difference, and good to remember, is that this is also taxpayer-funded. So it's not the business, it's not your employer who pays you salary for the whole time that you're on paid leave, all employers and all employees pay into basically a pay a tax into a insurance fund, if you will, and the money comes out of there, so for the employer, typically they just then hire someone else to do the job for a year and it's not they're not stuck at paying two salaries, so that's really important, I think to remember and small business, of course, it's also important that they're not stuck at paying somebody's salary while they're away
0: right wow, that sounds like such a socialist hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> We have a question that we we ask uh, everybody we interview and you, you you can answer together or separately. Why do you do the work you do?
1: Well, I feel like um as a writer I want to try to find something that I can give to the world that I can provide. And for me right now or for the past several years the fact that i had lived in the united states for 10 years i'm now also an american citizen and that i come from a nordic country is something unique that i have so that's why i had chosen to put my efforts into writing and discussing and thinking about those differences
3: i guess i feel as an american as a, as as someone who grew up in the us and has family and friends there i'm just really worried about where we are headed i think we are we are possibly headed for like very bad civil strife possibly and What frustrates me about the conversation and a lot of the people I'm in touch with back in the US is how it's so hard for us in the US to conceive of this kind of very sensible middle ground that we're living as a reality here in Finland. Whereas in the US, we're stuck with these narratives about freedom or, you know, communism, basically. And the reality is, everybody's in thinks that the, that the mainstream in the US is you know has to be centrist and is centrist and that's the only really viable area and having known Anu and I like I think I I feel like I need to read her book at least once a year to keep like reminding myself of all the amazing insights in it about the US but the idea that we're centrist is nuts we're far to the right Every, we've all become completely convinced that you know anything that's good for anybody and that can help save our capitalist system in the United States is some form of communism communism or something is just ludicrous. And I feel so frustrated that I want to help try to do what little I can, you know, from our perch here in Finland right now to say, hey, everybody, wake up, you know. uh, Our american u s system is really in danger, and it's and we need new stories about how to understand who we are and you know, I think Anu's book does that and and anything I can do to try to help my friends and family back home see other possibilities for thinking about the way we live our lives. I hope can be helpful
0: well, well, the good news from the Finnish example is that uh, after uh, we in the u s fight our coming civil war there's there's hope that we can uh, adopt a more sane and humane system yeah. like like finland
3: did well that that was obviously part of the subtext of our article
1: that's a very Finns are very um pessimistic people often in many ways so i would commend you for a very finnish um lesson that you took from our article
2: well thank you guys so much for spending the time chatting with us
3: thanks for having us it was an honor thank you okay thank Thank you you. bye bye -bye.
2: I visited Helsinki for a few days a couple of years ago for the slush conference, which is this giant European tech conference where I gave a speech and uh, I had just a blast there and I got to meet all these really interesting people, got to have dinner with the president and the place is just so shiny and clean and well-organized and prosperous and pretty and and, uh, and I know, you know, like, it's super far north. Um, right. It's supposed to be dark all the time. But of course, yeah, the no... economy
0: has nothing to do with that. No,
2: Okay, <laughs> but, but here's the thing is it was like, it was like clear and sunny. And it was just a magically gorgeous place filled with uh, what looked like very happy uh, people. And I think the interview that we just had with these people reflects
0: that reality. Right. You know, after talking to Anu and Trevor... And having uh, read Anu's book, The Nordic Theory of Everything, which I highly recommend, go out and uh, buy it, read it. I've got a confession to make, Nick. I I think I'm a secret Nord. You don't look like a Nord. Is that the, is that, like is that the noun? <laughs> no, think about this, Nick. You know me. You've known me for about five years now. How the the Finns and the Nords—they're they're kind of dark and pessimistic.
2: Well, you fit it, right
0: in there. Right, right. She also says they like to complain. You fit right in there. <laughs> right, pickled herring. I fit. I fit you right. Fit right I fit right in there. But also, and don't take this personally, Nick. But I, I've always kind of resented salaried jobs. Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as dictators you're you're a pretty benevolent dictator but you're a dictator nonetheless I am. I am. and and partially it's got to do and and she she talks about this in the book the American system in which our lives are so precarious that if we lose our jobs we lose our housing we lose our health care how our health care is provided by our employers and that if you decide to change, our insurance then I may have to switch doctors or uh, I may have to pay more out of pocket and I'm totally dependent on you uh, for so many things. There's something uncomfortable and wrong about it. What yeah. I want and what I've tried to do throughout my life and it's why most of the first 25 years of my adult life I was self-employed is I want to be independent. That's yeah. That's the American dream to be independent. and
2: Well, I don't think it's just an American dream. I think it's a dream right. of all people right. is to be unexploited. That
0: when you have that independence, say in a country like Finland, where you don't have to worry about getting sick and going bankrupt because everybody's covered and it's affordable. If you have kids, you don't have to worry about paying a month for daycare because daycare is free or affordable, no more than the equivalent of $300 a month. You don't have to worry about buying a house in a nice neighborhood so that your kids will have the opportunity to go to a good school because all of the schools are good. You don't have to worry about saving for college so that your kids don't have to go into tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt if they want to get an education so they can succeed in life because college which is free to everybody, that creates a type of freedom that I feel that most people are missing in this country. And I think that people like you and me, though we have very, very different outcomes, we both came out of a very privileged environment where we did not have to worry how to pay for those things. We did not have to worry about how we were going to go to college because we had family to provide that, but we were lucky and we were the few.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: And- in a country like Finland, you can have all the advantages of a market economy, of what people call capitalism. Yeah, but Yet,
2: very few of the downsides.
0: Very few of the downsides. And I think it allows you to be more free, more, more, free, more risk-taking, more entrepreneurial, because- And much, much less stressed. Much less stressed. And I think about it from an entrepreneurial sense. A lot of people, I mean, there's statistics. Homeowners start fewer businesses than non-homeowners because they're afraid to lose their house in the U.S. So to understand market capitalism as an evolutionary system is to understand that most businesses necessarily fail. They have to fail. That's how selection works. Most innovations don't succeed. But if failing in a business leaves you on the streets, well, then you're going to stick with that job that pays and allows you to feed your children and put a a roof over their heads yeah Yeah. so uh you know i look at the Finnish model and i say okay it's a little dark for me in the winters but pessimism complaining a lot uh pickled herring and oh by the way free health care free daycare good public schools free college and long-term care when you get old yeah Oh, right. I'm, uh, that's
2: the type of market capitalism for me. That's right. That's right. And, you know, none of these things are out of reach for Americans. Right. right? Well, we are, could... are
0: we less competent than
2: the Finns? Yeah. No. We could have all of these Think things. Think
0: of all the extra vitamin D we have.
2: Yeah, exactly. Throughout most of the we country. Could, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of these things are within reach if we wanted them and if we could push past the entrenched interests that don't want us to have them. Right. You know, the healthcare system that, that we have. That, that
0: not only don't want us to have them, yeah. Nick, but don't want us to know that we have a choice about whether or not to yeah, have them. that's right. And that have been, frankly,
2: lying to us for decades about how these alternatives are hellscapes, and right. in fact they're not. The, these places are now more prosperous, uh, more free, Uh, certainly easier and better to live in than, than what we call home. And all of this has happened in one lifetime and all of it happened because a certain small group of people wanted it to happen. And that means that we could make it unhappen if we wanted to, if we got together and did the right things and promoted the right policies and ideas.
0: And opened up our imagination to a different kind of capitalism. Exactly.